This episode of Country Career Spotlight is brought to you by New West Records. Pick up a copy of the new Jamie Wyatt album, Neon Cross. Available now at jamiewyatt.com. That's J-A-I-M-E-W-Y-A-T-T dot com. Ride me cowboy Till the cows come home Till the cows, till the cows come home Look deep in my eyes Put your hands on my thighs And ride, ride, ride Saddle up, cowpokes, and get ready to hit the trail with Country Queer Spotlight the podcast that introduces you to rising LGBTQ stars on the country scene. Join your host, Rachel Coles, as she chats with her guests about their music, their background, their influences, and more. Let's ride. Ride me, cowboy, till the cows come home. Till the cows, till the cows come home. Deep in my eyes, put your hands on my thighs. Howdy, cowpokes, and welcome to Country Queer Spotlight. In this episode, I speak with Amethyst Kia, Grammy Award-nominated banjo player extraordinaire, just one of the many stellar members of Our Native Daughters. It's going to be a treat. We talk about a lot of stuff. We talk about her upbringing. We talk about her favorite anime. We talk about being hangry at the Grammy ceremonies, because who wouldn't be so... You're about to hear Amethyst's extremely powerful voice, but just remember, she's a human and she wears JCPenney to the Grammys like any of us would. So before we get into the interview, if you're not familiar with Amethyst's music, I want to start out with one of her earlier songs so you can hear the evolution of her work. We're going to listen to Dark Holler from Amethyst's first EP from almost 10 years ago now. Dark Holler. And when I'm sleep, I'm dreaming back. 
Papa says I must not marry Well, welcome to Queer Country Spotlight Amethyst. Thanks so much for taking the time to check in with us. Um, you mentioned before I started recording that you're about to uh, get to work on your next album. So I thought we would sort of take our listeners back to the beginning. Um, I know that you grew up in Chattanooga and then spent, it sounds to me like your early 20s in Johnson City. Um, yes. I know you've talked about this in the past, but for you, like, what was it like growing up there? Um, well, growing up in Chattanooga, it was, I mean, for the most part, like, I have a lot of great memories from being in Johnson City, or, uh, gosh, <laughs> Chattanooga. Um, it was kind of, I guess it was kind of bittersweet because, um, you know, I grew up in, I grew up in suburbia. Um, we were one of maybe three or four black families in the entire subdivision. And so, um, you know, we're kind of like on the heels of white flight. So um, some of the attitudes of our neighbors toward us were, um, it was kind of a mixed bag. There were some that just didn't, you know, they just kind of didn't really say anything to us. Some of them were nice. Some of them were cool with me playing with their kids until I was about 13 or 14. And then all of a sudden, like, no one wanted to hang out anymore. And it took me a while to realize that, like, you know, what that actually was. Because it was, it, was, it was more than just, oh, we grew apart. It was just all of a sudden, bam. It was all just, just ended. With, so that was kind of weird. Um, and also, we didn't go to church. And in Chattanooga, there is, there's probably, like, eight churches within like a one mile radius. So it's very, it's a very um, religious area. So, um, you know, being the only one, of the only black families, being one of the only black people that went to my school. Um, and then, you know, the first thing people ask you is, you know, what church you go to. And if you say you don't go to church, then like, that's a problem. So it's just, you know, my, it's funny because my, you know, my mom and my dad like wanted to, you know, provide me, uh, you know, the kind of life that, you know, they came from humble beginnings. So they, you know, wanted the best for me, their kid. And even though as far as like picking the neighborhood, picking the school and all of that, like, I think one thing that wasn't really, I guess, or I guess didn't, there was an unforeseen consequence was like how I was going to deal with, um, with like religion um with with the fact that we were a secular family um and also deal with the fact that um you know i'm a person of color and regardless of what my socioeconomic status was regardless of like what i did in school or or how i dressed or what i listened to you know there came a certain age where people's parents were like hey listen you need to you know you need to like move away and like kind of stick with stick with your white peers and so um so like that was something that was kind of difficult to swallow um 
And also I started like, you know, struggling with my sexuality, you know, so you just got a whole bunch of, whole bunch of stuff just kind of stacked, um, you know, and then also in my teens, um, both of my parents, um, their, the marriage kind of just started to dissolve. And while they were kind of dealing with that, I sort of, um, I kind of re retreated and I guess I, I was a, a, a bit emotionally neglected and it wasn't their intention, but it's like when you've got so much other stuff going on, like it was just, I was still taking care for, taking care for and provided for, but I just felt so emotionally distant from everyone and everything. And so I turned to music uh, to kind of deal with that. Um, now, eventually I would transfer to like a creative arts high school in Chattanooga. And that like really just changed everything because like everybody there was weird. Everybody was a bunch of dorks and nerds that loved art and like, you know, like theater or music or visual art or whatever. Um, and I found like a group of like black kids that liked anime and weird nerdy stuff. So like, and I've also found people that like being gay there was totally accepted. It was open. Um, I remember when I came out at my other high school that there were some people, because I played basketball, there were people like that I used to play basketball with that, you know, there was a time I was in the library and someone like just started yelling at me about how awful it was that I was gay and all this kind of stuff. So like, it's, it was a great, it was a nice change, you know? <laughs> um, so, so anyway, there's definitely a really cool element there, but um, I know that there's, you know, growing up, it was a bit of like, as I mentioned, it was like a bit of a mixed bag, but I turned to music as kind of my way of being able to be in a world and create a world um, where I didn't feel like I had to answer to anyone, that I didn't feel like I needed to like, you know, be a certain way. And um, so yeah, music was my, music and books and movies were kind of like, and art was just like, that was my refuge. And that was the place that I could go and um, nobody could hurt me or ignore me or whatever, so. Yeah, that was, a, that was a mouthful, but that's... <laughs> <laughs> no, I appreciate it, because I know you've talked yeah. about this a lot um, in yeah. other interviews I was reading. Here's mm -hmm. one nobody asked you about, though. What were your favorite anime? <laughs> I think we got to talk about that. Oh, wow. Um, well, so Which my... Really the, big deep. <laughs> well, yes. Yeah, so, um, so the very first one that I saw, because I haven't watched anime in quite a while, mm -hmm. but the very first one that I saw that... Um, kind of made me realize that there was more to anime than just Pokemon, which not that I had anything against Pokemon, but it just didn't really strike my fancy and I didn't really have a good understanding of anime. But then again, I met, you know, the black anime nerd kids right. and um, I was introduced to Vampire Hunter D. And I was really into like vampires at the time I was reading like Anne Rice and all that kind of stuff. And so I watched Vampire Hunter D and I'm like, oh my gosh. And then I watched like Cowboy Bebop. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's this movie called Record of Lotus War, which I borrowed, quote unquote, from one of my friends. I actually still have it. Um, I don't have a DVD. I don't have a DVD player in my uh, laptop to watch it, but I have it. And just in case I ever want to see it again. Um, but yeah, those are probably the three things that really stick out to my mind um were those three uh just because it, it kind of taught me that like just about any art form including anime just has different genres and different ways of storytelling it sounds like you found a lot of great community in high school and i also read that your parents really wanted you to be both an athlete and a musician um is there a reason why you played guitar did they choose that for you and were they musical themselves well, so, so yeah, so like the sort of, I guess there was like these kind of three pillars of like goals or ideas to help me be a well-rounded individual. And it was, um, you know, making good grades in school, playing some kind of team sport to like, you know, learn how to, you know, interact and work as a team with other people, um, which that failed miserably. I had to relearn <laughs> how to interact and, and, and work with people, you know, in my 20s. So that, but that's a whole other thing. And then playing an instrument just because like you know learning how to play music is just it's just a very it's a very nourishing therapeutic and really just fun thing to do um so I ended up watching a lot of um Nickelodeon and 
MTV when I was growing up. So um, I don't think I was always, I probably, I know there were certain instances where I would like sneak into my parents' room. Like my parents would be like watching TV in the living room and I'd want to watch something else and I'd kind of sneak in and I'd turn on MTV and have it turned down really low just in Mm -hmm. case like, you know, something weird was on, Uh, which back in the early, like at this, in the mid to late nineties, lots of weird stuff was on MTV. Like I, I miss that version of MTV, but anyway, I feel like one of those, like get off my lawn people when I talk about (laughs) MTV, but anyway, um, so, so the main thing was like, I really kind of, I I thought about doing piano, but then I really kind of got into guitar and I just remember like watching like, you know, a lot of alternative rock, um, uh, music videos and stuff and just being like man guitar just seems so cool looks like a lot of fun and so I just you know asked my parents to get me if I could have a guitar and so when I was 13 years old we went to um, a music store and um, which would be the same music store that I went to for everything for mm-hmm. like you know up until the time that I moved and bought a um, $100 used um, 80s Fender uh, mm-hmm. dreadnought guitar and um yeah, it really just kind of started from there. Um, my parents bought me, while we were at the music store, my parents bought me a CD-ROM that had um, guitar lessons on it because this was before YouTube, you know? Mm-hmm. So you had to actually like go buy, you know, buy CD-ROMs and buy DVDs or VHSs or whatever, which is what I ended up doing. So, um, so yeah, I just, I learned through watching uh, videos and then eventually I, w- I taught myself how to read guitar tablature and then the world was like an open book then because then anytime I heard a song because I obviously I learned how to play by ear so anytime I heard a song and wanted to learn it I if I wasn't sure what the chords were I can just look it up and so that was a very like empowering thing to be able to you know I would say the only downside with you know playing music by myself for 10 years was that when I started to play music in college with other people I had a huge learning curve you know and you know also like um you know when my when my mom died um the sort of social anxiety and things that I already had going kind of just Mm. multiplied a bit um so when it came to my music it it was such a it, it was just it was something that I never really explored playing music with other people because it was the one thing that was mine that made me feel safe and the idea of doing it with someone else um, was unfathomable to me because it's, it was so personal. It'd be like, be, it'd be like, Hey, how's it going? Let's get naked and stand in the shower. Like it, it was that personal. Like, it's just like you just, I couldn't imagine doing that with, with people that I, you know, don't know or kind of know, you know? So, um, so yeah, so that was the downside was just that like I had this huge learning curve and I've, I've now been able to move past that. But, you know, even to this day, you know, I have to, you know, constantly like unpack, you know, that wall that I built mm-hmm. in my late teens and early twenties um, after that happened. So, so yeah, it's, I don't know, it, on one hand, it, it obviously made me the musician I am today and it gave me a foundation for because I wasn't as heavily influenced by other people, I ended up developing my own ideas and thoughts about music and how I wanted to play it. Um, so that was the upside. But then the downside was just like, you know, just like having the social interaction and communicating and like knowing what it's like to be part of something that's greater than yourself, which I'm now having those experiences and um it's it's important to be able to have those just as much as being able to develop your own opinions so um yeah (laughs) how about i mean i know you're an incredible guitar player but you're also an amazing singer um were you ever did you ever take lessons or was it something you sort of did with your family or well um so oh yeah and there you know you did mention something a while ago about if anybody was musically inclined um my so this kind of just just revisiting that to answer that to answer this question um so my um my father um 
sang and played like percussion in a band back in the late 70s and it was uh he was he was a manager at Sears at the time and so music was something that he did on the side and um and even now I mean like he'll like you know whistle and sing you know just just when he when he feels like it and he does have a really great voice so I I I guess I maybe maybe some of that rubbed off on me I guess I don't know but um um but like I would say he's definitely one of my like biggest like influences as far as like you know following this music path because like his he was a huge he's a huge audiophile so he had like vinyl all kinds of vinyl and cds and like he just had reel-to-reel tape like he was really really into that um so you know he so he did that on the side um and then my mother she grew up she sang in the like she did like some choir singing in the church growing up Mm -hmm. and then like she didn't really like pursue music you know and you know in any like hobby kind of a way but like you know we but she loved absolutely loved listening music like he and my she and my dad would like I think before I was born they would like you know, they take off and go to Atlanta or like some big city and like go to discotheques and like dance like on weekends mm-hmm. and stuff. Um, and then like my mom would play music in the car, like she would sing along and like she had a pretty good voice too. I mean, like, especially for like, you know, like for a, like a singing in the car, or singing mm-hmm. to the radio voice, like her voice was pretty good. Um, so, um, so yeah, I just was surrounded by, you know, just you know, two people that absolutely loved listening to music and all kinds of music. Um, you know, we had, you know, um, you know, Isley Brothers and the record collection. There was Jimi Hendrix, there was Dolly Parton. Um, Yanni was in there somewhere. <laughs> My mom liked Yanni too. So, um, so yeah, I mean, we just had all kinds of music. And I think that that played such a huge, um, such a huge role, I think, in me wanting to, you know, play music. Although like, you know, my, you know, initial inclinations toward music are a little bit different, but like, I appreciate a lot of different kinds of music and I'm able to listen to multiple different genres and like find something that I like. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, it's really helped me, uh, you know, have an open ear to listening to new things, which is what brought me to becoming interested in old time music because mm-hmm. I've always been so open-minded with music that like, you know, it had I not been, I don't think I would have ever, you know, joined the, joined the program at ETSU because like the very first class that I saw or that I ever took was bluegrass group guitar. And I'm like, huh, I wonder what that's like. And I called, I remember Jack Toddle. He was, um, he's the one that founded the bluegrass, what was then called the bluegrass program and is now called the bluegrass old time country music studies program. Um, And I called him up and I was like, hi, I was, you know, I'm I'm new to, I've I've never played bluegrass before or folk music. And this is, you know, I just thought I would call and ask, you know, do you all have people like sight read? Do you have to learn how to read music? Like, what's the deal? I remember him laughing. (laughs) He just laughed. He's like, of course not. We don't, we, we learn. So is he explained, then he explained to me that bluegrass music and folk music in general is an oral tradition where you learn, you know, what they call knee to knee, where you're, you're facing, you're, you know, you're facing your teacher and they're showing you what to do. Um, so I was like, okay, that's cool. So here's a way of learning that I actually like. So I'm totally down to try this. And then it just, and then, you know, it, it just turned into this, this cultural exploration of like, um, learning about Appalachia, learning, mm-hmm. uh, learning more about Appalachia, learning more about Southern music, learning um, that there's no such thing as a pure um, genre of music as some people would like to proclaim, um, yeah. that all of this is, you know, this is, you know, West African and, um, and British Isles music traditions coming together and like creating, you know, and creating like stream band music, creating uh, country blues, creating, uh, you know, fiddle tunes and all sorts of stuff. Well, you heard Amethyst mention that one of her influences was Tori Amos. So let's listen to one of her most popular songs, Crucify. After that, listen to another earlier song of Amethyst, 
from her EP from a couple years ago, Chest of Glass. This is called Trouble So Hard. Every finger in the room is pointing at me. I want to spit in the faces, then I get afraid of what that could bring. I got a bowling ball in my stomach, I got a desert in my mouth. Figures that my courage would choose to sell out now. I've been looking for a savior in these dirty streets. Looking for a savior beneath these dirty sheets. I've been raising up my hands, drop another nail in. Just what God needs, one more victim. Why do we? by ourselves every day I crucify myself nothing to do is good enough for you I crucify myself every day I crucify myself my heart is sick of being I see my heart is sick of being
This episode of Country Queer Spotlight is brought to you by New West Records. The new Jamie White album, Neon Cross, is available now. In our interview with Jamie, Country Queer called Neon Cross a dreamy country masterpiece, and the advocate calls Jamie the new queer queen of outlaw country. Pick up a copy of Neon Cross at jamiewyatt.com. That's J-A-I-M-E-W-Y-A-T-T dot com. You're listening to Country Queer Spotlight, the podcast that introduces you to rising LGBTQ stars on the country scene. You can find more queer country content and merch at countryqueer.com. Now, back to the show with your host, Rachel Colst. And uh, then, yeah, so let's get into some of your more recent adventures. I mean, you were nominated for a Grammy for your work with Our Native Daughters, which was amazing. I mean, that yeah, whole experience crazy. seems amazing, <laughs> incredible. Uh, I know Rhiannon Giddens posted a picture of those jackets you all had made. Um, oh, yeah, that, that was cool. That was the first time I've ever, like, well, it's funny because, like, my whole, I guess, my whole MO in existence has always kind of been, like, you know, to, to learn to, I guess, to like learn things from people, explore different things, but like never really like commit to like a group thing, you know, like that's always kind of been my MO. And then like for the first time, like, you know, it's like, we're this like, like this like cool biker gang or something i don't know like we just got these jackets and i was like oh so this is this is what it feels like like it finally (laughs) dawned on me oh this is really cool and like what better people to like you know to share that with you know um you know i think with our native daughters or with songs with the with the project songs of our native daughters like i mean that really came that came to me in a time in my life where uh it, I, it, 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 it came into my life at a time when I really needed it most. Um, I needed, I needed, I needed a project like this. I needed to, you know, it, it definitely was a big help in the healing of like looking back on aspects of my life where, um, you know, I felt othered, even though, you know, I didn't feel like I should have been othered, but I was. Mm-hmm. and in 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 multiple different aspects and um you know to be able to kind of share similar experiences um with Rhiannon and Layla and Allison um was just incredible like I hadn't had a conversation like that with with three other people of color like that since since high school you know Mm -hmm. like to be able to sit down and have these kind of conversations was just really special and to take on, you know, this concept of, you know, singing about the transatlantic slave trade and like bringing a strong human element to it and being able to, to, to talk about these things and sing about them um, and to, to show how they connect to things going on right now. Um, it's just, I mean, I, I'm, I'm so, I just, I feel, I'm so grateful to have been part of it. And when I'd wanted to, I mean, when we did this, I mean, as far as Rhiannon knew, like she was doing this project, this was something that was going to be archived forever in Smithsonian Folkways. This was an important historical moment and like, you know, come what may of it. Um, I mean, I remember when we were, we were, when we were writing and recording this record, there wasn't any talk about you know, a really a tour or if there's going to be another record or anything like that. It was just, we're doing this cool thing that's really important. And then it just, it just blew the hell up, you know, mm-hmm. like it was just, it, it, it went in places that I don't think any of us had, in, I mean, Rhiannon didn't, didn't even anticipate like what this was bringing on, you know? So, so all the opportunities that we've had along the way, um, you know, we got to do a short, we got to do a, a one week run in the Northeast. We were going to go out West in October. Um, but that, um, I, that's not really going to be happening now. <laughs> nope. I mean, that's not a surprise, I guess. 
Um, I know we have, I know that we were supposed to be on the road at some point 2021. So hopefully like we can, hopefully that can happen too. Who knows how long any of this is gonna go. Um, Cause we're not, uh, Americans aren't doing a great job with handling this uh, COVID-19 situation. So yeah. I look at other countries and I'm like, why, why can't we be like y'all? I mean, I know why, but it's more of a rhetorical question. But um, <laughs> anyway, but yeah, so, but yeah, that whole, that whole experience was just incredible. And the Grammy thing, I mean, I was, I knew that Smithsonian Folkways submitted like the album and a few songs to the Recording Academy, because that's how that works. You submit stuff mm -hmm. to the Recording Academy and then people vote on it that are in the Academy. And, you know, I was, you know, we've submitted the songs and, you know, it's the thing you don't like necessarily get your hopes super up because there's a lot of people submitting stuff. So, you know, you just sort of, if it happens, it happens. So the day that they announced the nominees, I didn't even know when they were going to announce them. I wasn't even keeping up with it. I was <laughs> on a two week run in, um, in November. I was in a, on a two week run. Um, right. my dad, he comes out on the road with me um uh he drives and sells merch and offers moral support and whatever else i or whatever else i need uh, he's been <laughs> great he's been so supportive throughout my entire um uh, music career um and i appreciate him for that we i woke up at like 9 30 in the morning in grand rapids michigan and we had to travel to lansing which wasn't too far but like you know we so i slept in a little bit later and i looked at my phone and there was like 50 text notifications and i'm like what the hell happened? Like who died? Like what's going on? <laughs> you know? And then it opened and everybody's like, congratulations, my manager, my booking <laughs> agent, people I haven't talked to in three years. Like all, <laughs> all kinds of people were just like saying congratulations. And I'm like, oh. And then I looked and I'm like, hey dad, um, like myself got nominated for a Grammy. And then he's like, wow. And we just <laughs> sat there. Cause we've been, you know, we've been traveling on the road for 10 years, you know, and mm -hmm. some of those 10 years, you know, first part of that I was in school and then I tried to do grad school and that didn't really work out and then I you know continued on like trying to just make music and you know so like this entire journey has just you know been pretty arduous there's been so many emotional ups and downs there's been um all kinds of stuff that I've that I've dealt with and so to come to this point where something that first of all, Black Myself is the very first yep. song that I've ever written that was confrontational um, because I was, I didn't have the, I was afraid to write anything super, like super confrontational because I worried about what people were gonna think of me or what people were gonna say about me. Um, and this was, this was a song that I wrote that I, 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 I was able to have the courage to finally write it because of who I was with. Mm -hmm. um, I knew that what I was thinking and what I was saying was important and that this was a song that needed to be, that needed to happen. Um, so to know that, you know, so many people heard the song and it moved them in such a way. And like, you know, having, I remember we were in England and we were, it was me, uh, Rhiannon, Allison Russell, um Layla wasn't there but uh Yola was <laughs> there who's she's an she's another just she's a phenomenal singer songwriter yeah. um really good friend of mine um and we were there and we sang like myself and like there had to have been 300 white English people under that tent and they were all singing black myself back <laughs> like it was it was such a beautiful moment because people like because like even though if, if you're not a black person but if you understand if you can understand being othered or if you can understand what it would feel like to be othered like it's it's so amazing that people are able to see beyond that oh this this isn't like people people saw beyond that oh this is just a song for black people it's not mm -hmm. for me it's like it, it was able to reach across and it being so confrontational and being so specific. 
because I've tried to, I've kind of prided myself on writing songs where anybody can listen to it and relate to it. And this one is a very specific song and like people still were able to relate to it. And that, that let me know, okay, well, there's no reason why I can't keep doing stuff like this. You know, it really, um, having the coverage to take that risk to step out there and write something that was so different than the way I wrote other stuff and to see the response I got, um, was just um it was uh really eye-opening and very empowering to know that um that i can that no you know no one's going to be coming i mean no one i guess when you i guess when you i think a lot of my fear came from you know reading in history books when people spoke out or did things like they would get you know, they'd get blacklisted, they'd have letters sent to their house, you know, like I've read all these different things and all that stuff would terrify me. But that whole point, the thing is, is like those things were done to do just that, to terrify other people from speaking out. And like, I don't want to, I'm done being terrified now. So (laughs) (laughs) I've been able to overcome that, you know, um, can't be silent. And, um, you know, if you want to, we want to see things change we can't not say anything you know so yeah Yeah. I mean I get goosebumps listening to black myself when we saw you open for Yola and and you sang it like I it felt like a if I could say this like a spiritual experience y'all came to the the Yola show yeah that's (laughs) awesome maybe the last concert that can't be right it wasn't it might be the last concert we went to oh that's so cool yeah. <laughs> oh my God. I absolutely, I love yeah. Yola so much. We had such a great time on tour. Like, yeah, was, I was able to, I was lucky enough to stow away on the, well, I didn't stow away on the bus. I had a bunk, <laughs> but like, I call it stow away. I always feel like I'm tagging along because I'm yeah. like, you know, like this person has this big team with all this stuff. And I'm just like, Hey, can I ride on the bus? to see Yeah. It's like, I can fit. You know, like, my dad. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so that was, so that was really cool. Um, that was a great experience. And I learned a lot more about like singing and like taking mm. care of your voice from her too. And I employed some of those things into my daily life. And yeah, anyway, she's great. She's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> what were, I think that was right. It was right before the Grammy ceremonies too. Like, what was that like? Your suit was amazing. I made sure oh, to thank keep you. props on the boot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, thank you so much. Yeah. I was super excited to like find find my outfit for that <laughs> um well we we gotten a bonus from uh smithsonian folkways for like the grammy nomination so oh, i used cool. that money to like to travel and then to buy my outfit and like yeah i well it's funny because like i there's this pair of designer pants that i wanted for a really long time and i'm like what the hell i'll go ahead and work yeah. on it so i got this these like designer pants and then like the jacket like came from jc pennies yeah. <laughs> so like it's just kind of funny i was just like i allow myself one designer piece because i cannot blow all my money just on the clothes but like this is a special moment so i might as well just lean into it to be perfectly honest the grammys was very overwhelming and mm-hmm. i was like the day of the grammys like i was like low-key really like stressed and anxious the whole time because it was so it was so overwhelming i think now that i have a better idea of like what it is and what to expect i think the next time i go i think i'll enjoy myself a little bit more Mm -hmm. um but yeah i was just like i was just really overwhelmed and super anxious and like and so like yeah and i think the day before because i'm trying to think well so on that day we did I think the other thing too is just the day was so long and that also caused me some anxiety. And like, I mean, I don't think, I think I maybe had like a couple of cliff bars within like an eight hour period because like whatever foods there is like hors d'oeuvres, like there was no way to eat a meal. So like the first half of the Grammys is like the, the, um, the pre-show Grammys uh, that gets streamed, it gets streamed mm-hmm. online. It was done at the Microsoft theater. I really loved that ceremony because like it felt like an award ceremony. Like they had, they had a, they had a, a a classical house band and then like a pop house band. And like, there was just, it was such a, it was so amazing. It was just, it it really felt like an award show. Um, And 
by the time it, it came for the telecast, like, I know on TV, the telecast is, you know, it's def- it's its own thing when you're watching on TV. But for me being there, it just, it felt like I was on like, you know, a television set because it was like commercial breaks and mm-hmm. like, you know, all this stuff. And like, I don't know, it just, it just, it just felt, and I think at that point I was just like really hungry and like, <laughs> and highly irritated too at this point. So, and, 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 and really anxious and like the seats like were crushing my knees and like, it, <laughs> so yeah. Anyway, I'd love to say that, oh, it was, you know, my experience was uh, awesome the whole time, but just truly, I was just really, really, really anxious. Oh yeah, I would um, be, I'd be losing my mind if it was me. Yeah, um, <laughs> but not to say, I'm, I'm so glad that I went. I'm so grateful that I went. Um, I ended up going to like an after, a, a Concord music after party, and that was a lot more chill, and I was mm-hmm. able to kind of take a deep, to, you know, take a, take a, take a deep breath and just kind of relax. And so that was fine, but yeah, it was just really overwhelming. And I think, um, I think next go around, I'll probably have a little bit of a better time once I, you know, <laughs> have it all, have it all together. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I wish Yola would have taken something home though, yeah. man. Like she got nominated for four things and I'm like, dang it. She didn't take anything home. But yeah, like it's fine. It really, the, the nomination is, you know, the nomination is really just, is enough on its own, to be perfectly honest. I mean, yeah. it's just, it's just really awesome to be recognized in that way. And my dad got to go with me too, which Aww. was cool. But we were both overwhelmed and anxious. <laughs> so like, at least we were overwhelmed and anxious together. So it, yeah. it made it okay. <laughs> I don't blame you one little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking yeah. of uh, future Grammys, uh, what can we look forward to for your next album? And uh, do you know if there's a title yet? Yeah, so this album, I started recording it in January 2018. So um, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's definitely it's cha- it's um, it's definitely gone through quite a bit of changes. Um, so the name of the record is called "Wary and Strange," mm. which is a title that it's a it's a phrase that I've that I've like, that's been floating around in my head since I was a teenager, because that's how I felt a lot of the time. Mm. And it turns out that the songs that I've written are all about dealing with feeling wary and strange in various situations. Um, There's heartache, there's loss, there's like, you know, overcoming self-medicating yourself to bury your feelings. Like there's all kinds of just like emotional stuff on there. Um, and it just made sense to say, well, here, wary and strange here, here's the title. Like it finally had a, it finally had a home. Um, so yeah. So what to expect on this record is kind of like, and a lot of it's, it's, it's kind of funny because I didn't really think of it as a, as like a breakup record until I was talking to my girlfriend, I guess it was back in September. Um, when I went back into the studio to record more songs, I had written some more songs and I'm like, I really want to change the direction and sound of this album. Um, and I really want these songs on there. And, um, uh, my girlfriend's like, you know, this is, this is basically a breakup album. (laughs) You're basically like pulling a Taylor Swift right now. And I'm like, huh, didn't think about that. So that kind of helped me put that in per, all in, you know, all in perspective, I guess, with that one. But, um, but yeah, so I think the plan right now, right now I am very, very close to signing a record deal. I won't mm. say who yet. Cause I, it's going to be like a, you know, an announcement thing. So I don't want to ruin it. Um, cause I've been kind of keeping it under wraps. I'm very close to signing a record, uh, a record deal. And, um, I'm flying out to LA, um, next week to, um, do some vocal retracking, um, and to just overall listen to all the record and kind of see if we, we want to make any other changes. I'm fi- I'm working with a, a producer the first two times I record. Well, I guess I worked with a producer the first time we recorded it. And then the second time I recorded, I was, I wanted to take a different direction with the record and we amicably like parted ways. Um, and then I didn't really have like 
an experienced producer and now I am working with a different producer who like understands what my vision what my vision now is and like is is going to help me kind of you know take things to the next level um so because when I did when I did vocals back in September for the second go around I was also in the middle of touring and so I was really tired when I would go into the studio and so like I was singing and it sounds fine but like it's not what it could be, you know? Mm -hmm. And like, the main thing is just like, you know, I want, and now that like over the past three, four months, I've been taking better care of myself. I've been reevaluating like, you know, you know, maybe I shouldn't run myself into the ground all the time, uh, <laughs> you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, um, so right, so now when I go back into the studio, like I am like, I'm mentally and physically in a place where I can, really put my best foot forward so um so yeah i'm really excited about it so my last question is uh, i like to close the podcast portion of this with uh one artist uh shouting out another queer country roots or old time artist just to sort of help build that network and kind of help promote uh community um so if you could think of somebody off the top of your head right now but again no pressure uh, is there anyone yeah. who you'd like to give a queer country roots or old time music shout out to? Oh my goodness. Let me think. Um, and no one will be offended. The other people you don't name. No, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, dang. I would say, let me first thing comes that comes off my head and it's only because I've seen a few of his like Facebook book posts lately mm -hmm. uh, is Jake Blunt. Mm. Um, he's a fiddler and banjo player, uh, from, uh, I think he's from Baltimore, Maryland. Mm -hmm. Um, he was one of the organizers for the, um, the porch pride, um, bluegrass pride event that happened at the end of June. Um, he's just super cool. Cause like, he's a, he's a queer, he's a queer, um, person of color and like he, he's able to find ways to like, um, he just like he has these really like interesting like posts where he's posing these questions about you know examining like recently he had a post examining like you know in old time music the people that you know a lot of people hold up as like these amazing idol people um you know sang songs you know sang minstrel songs or like and 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 how do we navigate celebrating the music, but also recognizing like that some of the people that played the music that we heralded, you know, were actually racist and like, how do we mitigate that? And like, he just sparks these interesting discussions between people about like kind of examining these things. Like, yes, we play this music, but also let's continue to examine like how we communicate it, how we, how we engage with it. Um, and also he's just like, he's just an awesome musician and really cool, really cool dude. I've met him a few times. He's coming, he comes every time I play in the DC area, he comes to my shows. Um, but he's a very smart young dude and like, yeah, he's, he's, he's just cool. So a shout out to him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I interviewed him a couple weeks ago for a country career as well. Actually, he's. Oh, nice. Yes. Yeah, what an amazing person. <laughs> oh yeah. No, he's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, um. Yeah, no, I just, uh, thanks for having me and uh, interviewing me. And like, this is, this has been awesome. This is a great way to, uh, this is, a, this is a, my last interview for a few weeks. So this is a, a nice one to cap off before, uh, before uh, hitting the road. So oh, thank thanks you, for having thank me. You. <laughs> thank you for saying that. Thanks so much for your time. Well, you heard Amethyst recommend Jake Blount. So we're going to listen to some of his music from his most recent masterpiece, Spider Tales. We're going to listen to his version of the traditional song, Where Did You Sleep Last Night? And then we'll end on an upbeat note with one of Amethyst's songs from Songs of Our Native Daughters with Polly Ann's Hammer.
This episode of Country Queer Spotlight has been brought to you by New West Records. Pick up a copy of the new Jamie Wyatt album, Neon Cross, available now at jamiewyatt.com. That's J-A-I-M-E-W-Y-A-T-T dot com. Well, cowpokes, we've reached the end of the trail for this episode. Thanks for listening to Country Queer Spotlight, the podcast that introduces you to rising LGBTQ stars on the country scene. Head on over to countryqueer.com for more queer country content and merch. Rachel Colst has been your host and producer. For new music by Roots artists of all genders and orientations, listen to our weekly podcast, Adobe and Teardrops. Country Queer Spotlight is edited by Zach Tomlinson, executive produced by Country Queer's founder, Dale Geist. And our theme song, Ride Me Cowboy by Paisley Fields, is courtesy of Don Giovanni Records. Ride me cowboy.